Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Joining us today is award-winning filmmaker Maggie Kiley. Maggie is an alumni of the American Film Institute's Directing Workshop for Women. She's also a directing fellow for Fox and Film Independent. In 2016, Maggie Kiley was among the first to be selected to be part of Ryan Murphy's new foundation called HALF. The program was an all-inclusive initiative to offer jobs, mentorships, and scholarships to women, people of color, and members of the LGBT community. Maggie recently signed an exclusive multi-year deal with Warner Brothers TV. Maggie began her career as an actor with Atlantic Theatre Company in New York City before transitioning into directing. Her film work includes an award-winning short film, Boys Don't Leave, as well as three feature films, Brightest Star, Dial a Prayer, and Caught. Among the actors that she worked with include Jesse Eisenberg, Eloise Mumford, Allison Janney, Brittany Snow, William Macy, and Anna Camp. Maggie Kiley joins us today to talk about her latest high-profile project to hit the airwaves, and that would be Dirty John, Betty Broderick. It's the story of a couple whose divorce has been called America's Messiest Divorce. Maggie was the executive producer as well as one of the series' directors. What makes season two of Dirty John, Betty Broderick notable is the fact that all eight episodes were directed by women. Maggie Kiley, welcome to Film School Radio. Want to take us back to the point in your life where you and your sister were staging plays in your living room to where we are now. Tell me a little bit about how we got from Annie to here. Sure. I mean, I think at an early age, I loved being able to sort of escape into storytelling, you know, whether it be listening to a record or you know, playing with Barbies. Um, but I, I always was really fascinated by kind of setting, setting apart from where you were and having an experience that took you somewhere else. You know, I started as an actress. I moved to New York at 18 to study at NYU, was pretty convinced I'd be discovered on the streets of New York as, as we all are at the beginning. But, you know, I, I, and I loved my time as an actor and I grew very much as an artist uh, in that time in New York. But I think for me, being the person to sort of be at the center of the storytelling as opposed to waiting for that opportunity to present itself, that became more and more appealing, you know, as I moved forward in my life, started to raise my own family, have children. So I transitioned from acting to directing when I moved out to LA in my 30s, which is really kind of a a late in life moment uh, to kind of pivot in your career. But I believe that all the time I spent acting and putting on plays in the backyard and studying and doing commercials and all those wonderful things you do when you're starting out, I feel like they really prepped me to be the director that I am today because it, I was in that actor's chair for so long. And I think about that so much now when I'm, when I'm directing. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you're one of the things that has been very important to you as a director is to be an actor's director, to, to put yourself in that place, uh, which kind of fits something that it seems to be a, a theme in, in your journey uh, as a, as an artist is this desire to 
you've been helped along the way with mentorship programs, uh, and you seem to be someone who's dedicated to passing it forward, if you will, in terms of mentoring not only um, your fellow um, actors or the directors, but women in particular. I think that's been, it seems to have been a big focus for you. How important is mentorship to you? Oh, incredibly important. I mean, I think I'll, I'll mentee, I'll be a mentee for the rest of my life and I'll be a mentor for the rest of my life. I, um, I learned and gained so much from mentors along my journey. I think having the confidence of someone who's a little further along than you uh, is so beneficial. But I also, also think that learning how to be a mentee, how to look to someone for guidance is an acquired skill. Um, I love it when someone, you know, a, an emerging director comes to me with a set of questions that they've really taken the time to think about. You know, I've done X, I'm considering Y, should I do Y or Z? I, I love that. Instead of, you know, can I pick your brain and just sort of generally question how I can get to where you are? Um, I, I love that. I mean, I think I think having a plan every day and and coming at it with a specific um, approach is really valuable. And I, it's it's very rewarding for me to be able to guide someone a little bit with what I've learned in my time. Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, you started out as a film director. The story goes, you were uh, sort of asked to sit in on a short film. Um, it wasn't your project, it doesn't sound like, but you were asked to help direct it. And you, what was that like for your first day on the set? When Do you remember back when that, what was that like for you? I do. I, I remember when I was approached, I, I have taught acting before as part of my involvement in the Atlantic Theater Company. And it was a former student who came to me and said she had a little short movie she wanted me to direct. And I felt really unqualified to do it. So I was very resistant. But early on in prep, when I started thinking about visual storytelling, I realized how how much you already know. You know, you imagine, a, you imagine something in your head when you're reading a book or reading a script. So um, I can remember very distinctly that first moment when I called action the very first time. And it really did you know, not unlike when my husband proposed to me, it did sort of feel like, you know, kind of the sky opened up and the air changed. And it, it really was a, a moment where something deep within me recognized, oh, this is something, this is, this is the new something. So it was pretty, pretty wonderful. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, you went on to direct a feature length film. Um, and from there, you've transitioned from there into television. So in that in that period of time, what was what was that transition like? How, first of all, how how much did you like directing a feature length film? What was that? Was that a did, did it fulfill some of your expectations, or what was your takeaway from that first experience? You know, I really I really didn't know anything else, so I just went from a short film to a longer film, and then another longer film, and another longer film, and they were not by any means studio movies. They were small films. They were independently financed. I cast a lot of my well-known actor friends. Jesse Eisenberg came and was in my short, and Bill Macy, and and Clark Gregg and Allison Janney. And I was very, very fortunate that people agreed to kind of come on the journey with me. And I think 
making those films, I was certainly growing as a director. I didn't have a tremendous amount of experience. So I learned in those movies a lot about what it takes from the beginning of prep all the way to that last day in post. Uh, I was always really interested in television directing because it seemed like a place where a lot of amazing work was happening, some really wonderful stories. And it also, to me, looked like a great living, you know, where you could kind of go from project to project and not have to be pulling together a movie from the ground up is, you know, it's a hard process in indie feature making is difficult. So it took me uh, longer than I would have anticipated to transition into television, but I'm grateful that the journey took the path it did because I think I needed those years finding my voice as a filmmaker before I could really step in and be supportive to a showrunner and helping them execute their vision. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Maggie Kiley, and she is uh, the executive producer and director of four of the eight episodes on Dirty John Betty Broderick, the, uh, the story of the messiest divorce in, in, in America, at least at the time it was happening. It was, that was what it was deemed. Before we get to that, that you mentioned some of the people you work with during your film career, not only as an actor yourself, but also getting to work with people who are, as the, the roster of people you mentioned, are remarkable actors. I mean, Alison Janney, Bill Macy, some of the other people you mentioned, did that cement your relationship in terms of your appreciation of actors on set and, and what they bring to, to a project? You already, sounds like you had the foundation as an actor yourself, an amazing roster of people to be working with. Did that really sort of, in your mind, this is in some way the most important vehicle for the audience to understand what I'm trying to do? Is that... Absolutely. I mean, I think performance is everything. I think you can have the coolest looking shot or the most amazing script, but if you don't have an actor in that role giving a convincing, authentic performance and you haven't provided a space for that actor to feel attended to and supported in the way they need to, all bets are off. I mean, I I value the collaboration with my actors so very much. It's certainly the place that... feels the most comfortable for me and early on felt the most comfortable. So I've, I've always led with that. And, you know, to you, to your question of working specifically with some of the people I mentioned, I mean, Bill Macy, you know, one of my very first acting teachers at NYU, and I've, you know, always looked up to him as an actor and a teacher and a director. And I wrote a role for him in, in my film Dial a Prayer. And when he came on board to do it, I remember we had a really long talk before he kind of got on the plane to come to Michigan. I think it was about an hour long and he asked me so many questions, you know, really hard, specific questions about why is this happening here and what's happening here. And I remember I was sweating the whole talk. It kept coming back with the answers. And for me, the lesson was that I had the answers. And then number two, how great that he had all of those questions. And when we got to the end of the phone call, he was like, see you on set or something to that effect. And, and that was it. And it was so wonderful to think, well, his process is so detailed and so specific, but look, I actually was able to meet the need and, uh, and, and how, how wonderful to see how, how detailed he was in thinking about this character. And, and uh, yeah, I just, I've never forgotten that. 
was such a cool moment. That's a great story. Well, the transition from film to television, I imagine all sets are intense in their own ways. The lines have been blurred pretty much between television and film work, I would imagine. It feels so much like so many of these um, upper level television projects are, every show could be a film, every episode mm -hmm. could be a film. Game of Thrones, you, whatever, you throw around a lot of names, nine films per, per season or whatever. But is there something that distinguishes this television work over film work in, in a more of a technical sense or in a, or in a mindset kind of way? Absolutely. I mean, the movie is your movie and you're in on those conversations, you know, from the very beginning, for the most part. Television, certainly episodic, it's, it's different on a pilot, but episodic, which is what I, you know, landed in initially, you know, you, you really are the substitute teacher. You show up on that first day and, you know, uh, everybody's already been working together. You know, they all know each other. They have a system in place. You're the person who's meant to come in and, and captain the ship. So no matter how many episodes I've done that first day of um, both the first day of prep, but more so the first day shooting, you really, you really have to step in there and make it clear that you're a leader, but that you respect the room and find your way. So it's, it's stressful, but it's also exhilarating because how wonderful to get to move from, from a horror show to a Marvel show to a comedy um, and have a completely different set of collaborators, completely different, you know, group of actors, writers, but it, it's incredibly intimidating. It really is. And especially when you're first starting out in TV, because you don't, you know, no one knows who you are. You don't have it. Nobody's seen your tiny movies, but it's wonder. It's also really wonderful, you know, because how great that they can give over to a guest director in that way. Right. And, and I'm not going to make it sound like I've been on a lot of sets, but I, I've watched the production of television. And one thing that struck me watching it is, they are they're like a well-oiled machine that's one part it's probably different than film where it's more of a squishy kind of relationship you have with a crew we're on set of these television shows they are on it like like i mean it's it's hitting a mark every one every take is hitting a certain mark but agree yeah and but anyway let's talk about dirty john Betty Broderick, because this is the second season. It's underway. You directed, as I said, you directed four of the eight episodes. You're executive producer. Co I'm the co-executive producer, oh, actually. Co-executive yeah. producer, thank okay. you. And and so uh, you've got Amanda Peet, Christian Slater. You've got a whole a whole lot of wonderful actors involved in this. This uh, And this is a story where it, it feels like you're, it's a well-known story in some ways. A lot of people know of it. I think Oprah did a show on it. I mean, it's a lot of people know, but in order to make this interesting, I'm sure that you have to find an a way in. You have to get under the covers, if you will, on this. And tell me a little bit about your process of sort of figuring out how to tell this story in a way that humanizes these people. Yeah, well, Alexandra Cunningham is the creator and executive producer, and she had known this story. Um, like, I think a lot of us had heard sort of the the big the big messy headline about this event, this, this double homicide. Um, she was really interested in going back and unpacking the why of how, you know, not necessarily 
painting a different story, but getting kind of inside Betty's experience more intimately. And I, as a filmmaker and a female filmmaker, was was really excited by that. And Alex was very open to me in that we, I wasn't held I, any in any way to how the first season was shot or edited or designed and um and I knew that I could come into this new season and really craft a whole new set of tools for visual storytelling um you know we play a lot with a portrait lens and I was able to with my uh incredible cinematographer Ellie Smolkin we worked so much on using framing and using color to help us understand Betty's isolation and Betty's descent into this space that then brought her to do this horrible, horrible crime. Not only capturing the look uh, and her as her internal thoughts and how she how how this all unfolded, but it's also capturing an era. And and, mm-hmm. and part of capturing that era for me has to do with divorce, women's sort of the the dynamic of women's empowerment in terms of divorces happened a long time ago, the 80s, if I got that right, 1980? Yeah, the late 80s. Yeah, and, yeah. So, and so the sort of the social construct of, of marriage and divorce and w- where women would end up in a divorce has changed dramatically, hopefully all for the best, but certainly it's a different world now. Capturing that, that sort of that part of the story, that sort of cultural ethos, if you will, Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about what, what was, how important that was. And I mean, you're telling the story, but is that, was that a part of it at all? Am I, am I stretching this a little? No, not at all. I think for all of us, you know, and certainly Amanda Pete, who came in to play Betty, you know, was sort of understanding what it meant to be divorced at that moment in time, you know, that it was not something that was happening so often and that the legal you know, the legal system and part of what happens so much in this story is is the ways the legal system was not set up to support the, the one being divorced. You know, that if you had a leg up in the court system, if you had access to information, um, or if you didn't have access to information, things could be much harder for you. You know, Betty, in an early episode, you know, she she's having difficulty finding uh, someone to represent her because everyone knows her husband and doesn't want to get involved. And, you know, and so she doesn't have anyone to represent her. And so she calls, you know, to postpone the hearing thinking that she can just leave a message with the secretary and then kind of hangs up the phone and goes to lunch. And, you know, of course it hadn't been, you know, postponed. And of course her not being there caused all these other problems, Mm. but you know, we think about now the access of communication, access to communication and information that we have. And, you know, even just in social media, you can find out so much about a certain subject and, you know, not, not having that then. And also that for women being, being sort of cut out of the picture at that moment in time, you know, she didn't, not like now where you have two working parents, people with equally valued careers and equally valued places in society was a very, very different picture. So you're absolutely right that that was such an important part of of how we approached unpacking this story. Well, it's a congratulations on so many things. I'm really looking forward to Brides. That's the Dracula uh, project you're working on. Five yes. in the Dracula. Yes, project. yes. 
the wild varieties. That's that sounds fantastic. American Horror. You, you just it sounds like my goodness. Every every morning's Christmas morning for you, <laughs> or or a stressful Christmas morning for you. There are a lot of um, you know really wonderful stories out there to to tell, and I'm and I feel really excited and um, appreciative that I can be the one to help bring them to life. Well, congratulations to you, Maggie Kiley. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I, I look forward to coming back again. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.